0: The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Bible's with me, please. Tonight, let's return to the book of Luke in chapter number 23, please. Luke 23. Luke 23 tonight, we're going to pick up in verse number 7. Here over the last several weeks on Sunday evenings, we've been uh, joining uh, with our Savior and uh, some of the disciples in His last and final days. We've seen the Last Supper uh, where He would, of course, institute what we know and partake in as the Lord's Supper. Uh, He would then leave and go into the garden that night, and He would have uh, Peter and James and John with Him there. And they would. Uh, he'd ask them to pray and to spend time in prayer. And while he's there, uh, a little further off in the distance, he comes back and finds the disciples asleep, and uh, wonders why they can't tarry with him for that time in prayer. Uh, after a couple of times of that, we find that he says, "No, well, there's no sense of trying any further. Uh, the time is at hand." And before they even reach the uh, gate of the of the garden, Judas and the uh, and the soldiers and those that are there. Uh, to arrest him and uh, to betray him are there. Judas betrays him with a kiss and all the events that take place there. Peter, of course, uh, uh, takes his sword and trying to defend the Savior, uh, cuts the servant's ear off, and Jesus heals him there. And thus far, we've seen Jesus before the Sanhedrin and that mock trial there as well. And last time when we met in Luke, we found uh, Jesus standing before Pilate. We'll kind of review over that again in just a moment as we get an introduction Into the message here tonight, but I want to draw your attention to verse number 7, where we left off last time, and verse number 7 down through verse number 12 this evening. Luke 23, beginning in verse number 7, it says, And as soon as he knew that he belonged under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him for a long season, because he had heard many things of him. And he, he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Then he questioned with him uh, in many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priest and scribe stood and vehemently accused him. And Herod, with his men of war, set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. Verse number 12 says, And the same day Pilate and Herod were made friends together. Before, before, before they were at enmity between themselves. Our Father, we come to you tonight, and we do want to thank you for another opportunity to gather together in your house. Uh, uh, we want to just say thank you for all that you've done for us today already, uh, for most importantly providing for our salvation, to know you as our Savior, to be able to have a relationship with God our Father, to know that the Holy Spirit indwells us and guides us in everything and every, every day that we, that we live on this earth. And so, Lord, as we consider uh, these last days before your death and, and, of course, ultimately your resurrection that provided for our salvation, Lord, we praise you and thank you for it. Lord, would you help what we've, uh, t- to take what we've heard already today, help us to live it and to apply it our, to our lives as your word says, that we might be doers of your word and not hearers only. But Lord, as we take time to ponder what you've gone through so that we might be able to have life and life more abundantly. Lord, would you just uh, be honored and glorified? Would you be magnified and lifted up? Would our hearts be in tune with, uh, with uh, who you are and what you've done? I think of as we practiced in choir practice just a bit ago and some of those songs that we are preparing for Christmas and considering you coming to this earth, uh, wrapping yourself in, in flesh, in human flesh, so that you might be able to be our sacrifice for our sins. Lord, help us to... Never forget and never lose the wonder of how great and mighty you are. So, Lord, would you be honored and magnified, and your will accomplished tonight as we study? And we ask these things in Jesus' name, Amen. The long, difficult day, last days of Jesus are continuing, of course, before us. He's already, as we said, he's been betrayed by his friend. He stood before mockery and deceit and a and a. a illegal trial before the Sanhedrin. He was brought before Pilate in the very early uh, morning hours. And while he was being examined by Pilate even, we've already seen that it was discovered that Jesus was being accused of of, uh, causing strife and stirring up trouble in all of Galilee and in all of Israel. It was at that time when it was spoken of him being of the Galilean region that Pilate uh, knew that Herod was in town for the feasts that were taking place and the celebrations. And he said, well, I can uh, quickly get rid of this problem out of my hair. And he said, what Send him to, uh, to Herod, as we read there in verse number 7. He was hoping to be able to appease the Jews that had brought Jesus before them uh, so that they wouldn't be frustrated at him for not giving the verdict that they wanted and maybe be able to pin the blame onto someone else. But our text here this evening, verses 8 through 12 or 8 through 11 particularly even, uh, it offers that brief encounter that our Savior had before Herod and uh, that mock trial there as well. It doesn't offer a lot of details, it doesn't give us all the conversations, and it doesn't even give us all of the questions that Herod asked, even though it does tell us that he did ask questions. But while it doesn't give us all of the information, it does give us enough detail to understand a few things. We discover that during this time, Jesus was denied, he was mocked. And he was, he was rejected in this court as he had just been previously before Pilate as well. We'll also discover that Herod, like others, was not interested in actually knowing the truth. We find that in these first few verses as well, which we'll discuss in just a moment. Yes, there was a certain novelty, if you may, about who Jesus was that attracted some attention from Herod uh, to Jesus, but there was no true desire to discover the truth about him. And unfortunately, oftentimes, I believe the same remains true today. Uh, we, We have people that are willing to maybe view Jesus from afar, or maybe if they can get some type of, as we might think of, a sideshow spectacle because of it, it piques their interest. Now today, we live in Arizona, of course, and today was time change for everyone else in America and, uh, and all of that. Everybody was supposed to fall back. And I saw a meme on Facebook that said, today is Benny Hinn Sunday. Everybody fall back as he's slaying them with a, with a jacket. That type of, of a religious encounter draws masses of crowds, right? Because they want to see what's going to happen next. But it doesn't draw masses of crowds so that they might know who Jesus is. It draws masses of crowds so they can see what they can get out of it. And they can what kind of enjoyment or entertainment that they can get out of it. And while there was a certain novelty that Herod had concerning the ideas of who Jesus was, he was not interested in knowing Jesus personally. He wanted to be entertained, which we'll see in a moment. See, many view Jesus in light of his works and in his abilities more than actually understanding that he is the divine almighty son of God that came and dwelt among us. For many, their knowledge of Jesus is just simply reduced to accounts of others who have encountered him. They've experienced the opportunity to hear of people giving testimonies and reading about this story or that. But just as the Jews, just as Pilate and Herod had to consider who Jesus was and who he is, so must every man. And again, tonight, as we consider this, this time of Jesus before Herod now, and last time it was before Pilate, but this time before Herod, let us consider the fact of who Jesus is and take account tonight as well. Tonight, I want you to notice, number one, the, the arrival in the court. As we look at verses 7 and 8 again, the Bible says in verse number 7, as soon as he knew that, uh, that he belonged to, unto, the, unto Herod's jurisdiction he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem. And when Herod saw Jesus, notice what it says, he was exceeding glad. But here's the reason why he was glad. It says, for he was desirous to see him of a long season because he had heard many things of him. Now, if it stopped right there, that would seem like Herod was pretty interested in knowing who Jesus was and and wanting to know more about him. But the last part of verse number eight gives the truth. And he hoped to have seen some Miracle done by him. Here we find the reaction of Herod as Jesus is brought before him. We see a sense of curiosity, if you may, at the beginning of verse number eight. And it's interesting as we read to discover that the Bible says Herod was actually excited to see Jesus. When we think of Herod, we don't think of someone who wants to be around Jesus. We don't think of someone who's even interested at all. But Luke describes Herod as being exceeding glad to actually see Jesus. But we must understand, as I've mentioned already, that this excitement of Herod was not found in the desire to learn more about him. He did not view God or Jesus as God in the flesh. He did not uh, view Jesus as being deity. He was merely, merely curious about who Jesus was and the things he had already been able to accomplish. His desire, if you may, was simply superficial. And this trend and appeal remains in our day as well. We have to admit, Jesus truly is the central figure of all of human history. I mean, we can't deny it. We can't get over the fact that the life of Jesus Christ, whether one accepts him as Savior or not, had an enormous impact on human history. His life and presence among men, it can't be denied. And In fact, while there was a time in history where historians would try to deny the fact that there was a man from Galilee named Jesus of Nazareth, we find that there is no trustworthy and accepted historian today that would deny the fact that there was a man in the first century named Jesus. I mean, in fact, if a historian tried to even claim that to be true, he would be written off immediately because at the very least it is proven that there was a man in the first century that was named Jesus of Nazareth. And even though that is the truth and it can't be denied for many, yeah, there might be an air of curiosity surrounding who he is, There might be a a mere hoping look to see what they can see, and and if there's something that piques their interest. Now, I would agree tonight that that interest or curiosity can lead a person to wanting to discover more in depth and understanding the matter of course. Unfortunately for Herod, his curiosity was not to know the truth, but simply entertainment. And for many today, their curiosity about religious things isn't necessarily to be able to know how they can be saved from their sins and know a Savior. Sometimes it's just simply to have more knowledge. I've known people that have, they've gone through their life and they've studied religion. And honestly, if you were to talk about religious history, they're probably a little more wise than even I would be. I mean, I'll, be, I'll admit that. But their desire to know about history of the church or the history of religion is not to be closer to the Lord. It's just simply a a temporal pursuit of more knowledge to add to their knowledge bank. See, knowing about Jesus, my friends, don't miss this tonight, knowing about Jesus is much different than knowing Jesus himself. It's one thing to know that there was a man named Jesus or to admit that there was a man named Jesus, but it's a total another thing for a person to actually have a relationship with Jesus as well. I know that there was a man named George Washington that served as the first president of our United States of America. I can tell you readily, though, I do not know George Washington. I can tell you that I know that our current president is Joe Biden, but I can tell you also that I do not personally know him. And just because I have a knowledge of someone or something doesn't mean I have a relationship. And friends, we have to understand that just a simple knowledge of one does not equate to a relationship. Millions know. Millions have read the gospel account. Millions can even quote verses today. But that does not mean that they have a home in heaven. Not only do we see as he arrived in the court this curiosity but notice the middle part of, of verse number eight, notice the cynicism as well. In verse number eight, it says he was exceeding glad to see Jesus. And notice here that it was, he says the reason why is because for a, he was desirous to see him for a long season. Now, Herod had heard much about this man named Jesus. In fact, Herod had desired to see him for some time, the scripture tells us here in verse number eight. But we must not assume by just those common words that Herod was a believer. After all, everywhere that Jesus went, he was touching lives and was making an impact. There's no way a person could have lived in the area surrounding Jerusalem in that day and not have at least heard about Jesus and the miracles and the teachings and the things that he was doing and the crowds he was drawing. So just because one had a peaked interest or one wanted to kind of get into the, into the action, if you may, didn't mean that he actually knew Jesus. For instance, let's say, let's just be honest about it. Excitement breeds more excitement. If you've ever driven down the road and you've seen a bunch of cars off to the side of the road, and a couple of them have flashing lights and uh, sirens that are going off, and there's a big crowd of people gathered around this mangled mess that we call an accident. You want to know what your first instinct to do would be, would be to do as you're driving past? <laughs> I don't want to miss out on what's going on over there. I know what happened. It was an accident, but I wonder if someone got hurt. Now I don't want to be a part of the accident, but I sure do want to know what's going on. I want, to know, I want to be in the know. The first thing that we do as soon as we get to our destination or even before we get there, we get on Facebook and go to Chit Chats here, or whatever else. Hey, does anybody know what's going on over there at this place? We just, they just had the national night out this past Tuesday. All right, National night out at the park at Veterans. I mean, there's police cars and the helicopter and they've got uh, fire trucks. And, and it's just a time for families to get together and, and uh, have some time. My wife sends me a, fa- a, a, a screenshot of a, a post from Facebook from the, the, the Sierra Vista group. What's going on at the park? I hope everyone's okay. There's police cars and fire, fire trucks and ambulances all over the place. I hope someone's okay. It's just a get-together, guys. Let's go. Let's come on. But we our curiosity says, I got to know. I need to know what's going on. This is Herod's attitude. Herod's heard of Jesus. He's heard about the masses of people he's drawing around him. He wants to know what's going on. He doesn't want to be left out. He he doesn't want FOMO, fear of missing out. (laughs) He doesn't want to experience any of that. He needs to be in the know. He wasn't seeking to hear the truth of who Jesus was. He just wanted to know what was going on and what was drawing people's interest about this individual. Bear in mind, this Herod is the same Herod that sentenced John the Baptist to be beheaded. He was uh, was intimately um, connected with John the Baptist. He knew him well, but he didn't care to hear about his truth that John proclaimed. In fact, it was the truth that John proclaimed was the reason why he sentenced him to have have him beheaded as well. Now, Herod's mind was already made up about Jesus. It was just simply a sideshow act, if you may almost, in his opinion. And many people in our world today still remain cynical and doubtful about Jesus. They ha- we, we probably have friends and loved ones that they know our life, they know our beliefs, they know where we stand, but they won't accept it. I don't know how many times I've known people that have said, you know, if you would just If you want to spend all of your time at the church and all of your your time serving the church, you'd actually have time to have a real life. If you want to give away all your money to the church, then you'd have something to be able to to buy a nice vehicle when your car breaks down. Yeah, well, you know, it would have been nice to have that that $100 you gave to the church to be able to pay for this or that. That's the type of attitude that people have at times. And while they know, and they know where you stand, they know what you believe, they've seen the experience, they're still denying and they're still cynical. Notice the ceremony at the end of verse number eight. He said he had hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Again, this settles it right here. He was not interested in the truth or in spiritual matters. He was hoping for a magic show. He was hoping that Jesus would do something special in front of him. He'd have his own private viewing where masses of people were gathering together, elbowing each other, trying to squeeze through crowds. I think of Zacchaeus, right? He's trying to get to Jesus. He can't get there. So the next best thing for him to do is climb up in the tree so that he could see the Lord that day. Herod's like, I don't have to fight no crowds. I got them right here before me. It's a free show. Perform for me, Jesus. That's kind of the attitude that he had. He wanted a show. And as I mentioned earlier, there's masses of people that are gathered together over the sensational, if you may, but they're not gathered to know more about the Savior, just simply to be entertained. Not only do we see his arrival at the court, in the court, but secondly, notice the accusations in the court as we move on to verse number nine. Verse number nine says, Then he questioned with him in many words, but he answered him nothing. Verse number 10 said, And the chief priests and the scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Here Luke records the proceedings and the accusations in this mock trial. We notice the questioning first at the beginning of verse number 9. Now, we don't have the benefit of knowing all the questions that Herod asked. It doesn't go into the detail here. The Scripture doesn't give us all those questions. But we do know that there were many of them. Look what the Bible says there in verse number 9. He questioned him in many words. There was many things he asked Jesus about. It would be safe to assume that the questions were of little significance or benefit since they were not recorded for us. If they mattered really greatly, I believe the Lord would have left them in the word or put them in the word for us to know. So the questions he was asking were probably just superficial, not really that important. But apparently none of the questions were truly of spiritual nature. None genuinely were addressing the situation at hand. Because likely they were an attempt to just satisfy a carnal curiosity that Herod had. You know what? This same type of thing I encounter regularly when I talk to people about the Lord. I'm talking to them about Jesus and trying to share the gospel with them. And instead of staying focused on track about a home in heaven and being forgiven of sins and having a relationship with God, they want to interrupt and ask all these wild cockamamie questions. Well, let me ask you this did Adam have a belly button? Can God create a, a, a stone so big that even he himself can't pick it up? Well, what about this? Or what about that? Well, what about this situation? Or, well, why, why can't we have proof about this? Or why did the Lord say this? Well, what about the book of Revelation here? They don't even know the, the Lord and they want to know about the end times before all of that. And, we, and people are so bent on knowing their own way or not having their own way at times. And the questioning still goes on today. But unfortunately, most are unwilling to admit that even if they got the answers to their questions, it still wouldn't suffice. I remember sitting in my office, talking with an individual for almost three hours, trying to share the gospel with them, but they were bent on having proof. The truth of the matter is, friends, if they could have had all the proof in the world, it wouldn't have changed anything because it is a matter of faith. As I mentioned earlier this morning, Hebrews 11 and 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. We see the questioning during these accusations, but notice also the quietness in the the last part of verse number 9. After these many words and questions are asked, it says, but he answered him nothing. Herod eventually discovered that he was was the only one speaking. Now, when you're questioning someone and you're expecting a response and you're not getting one, I I don't know how long you go before you just stop and realize you're not going to get what you want. But it says he asked many words, through many words, these questions, but eventually it came to the realization I'm not getting an answer here. There had been no response to the countless questions that he had asked and Jesus just stood there in silence, never speaking a word before Herod. Now, we can't know for sure, but it appears his his questions probably were so absurd and so insignificant that they didn't even warrant a response. Now, when Pilate asked him if he was the Savior, his answers were, you say that I am. When it came to aspects of his deity and who he was, Jesus at least in those ways, answered some way. And the fact that there's no recording, actually it says that he remained silent, must mean that Herod wasn't even inquiring about him being the Son of God or deity or not. See, the Son of God, the Savior and the Redeemer of the world, stands before Herod here. The door of salvation was readily before Herod. And yet Jesus stood in absolute silence because Herod wasn't trying to seek Him as a Savior. And there can be no greater tragedy than to be in the presence of Jesus and hear a complete silence. To be in the presence of the Savior and to know nothing. Herod had shunned the witness of the gospel. He had no desire to learn and to receive the Word. If Jesus is speaking to us through His Spirit today and through His Word, my friends, we must admit we're blessed because here we are. We have the, this man standing before Jesus in the flesh. He answers him not a word. Romans 1 and 28 says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. See, it's, it, it's, a dang, it's dangerous to come to a place where the Lord is silent in our life. It's a dangerous thing to reject the pleading of the Savior towards salvation. Notice verse number 10 and the quarreling there in the court as well. After Herod posed these questions and Jesus remained in the quietness, here the chief priests and the scribes began to quarrel about what Jesus had done. It says they stood and vehemently accused him, seeing that the proceedings weren't progressing in the way that they desired and hoped for. They weren't getting the guilty verdict that they were expecting or that they desired. These prominent Jews began to bring even greater accusations against Jesus as they stood before Herod. Their hatred is just strong and it's evident here in the scripture before us. And they were determined, regardless of what it took, they were going to get their way. They were going to see Jesus put to death and crucified. First this this evening, we've seen his arrival in the court We've seen the accusations in the court, but notice thirdly also the apathy in the court in verse number 11. Herod, it starts off, it says he was glad to see him. He was exceedingly glad, in fact, to see him. He had wondered about Jesus for quite a while now. He had hoped to be able to see some miracle. He posed some questions to Jesus. Hopefully, it would be able to spur uh, Jesus into action. I don't know. Maybe maybe Herod was asking questions about. Well, Jesus, can you do this? Can you levitate? Can you be, can you become invisible? You know, can can you do something special? Maybe I don't know. Maybe those were the questions, and that's why Jesus just remained silent. Like, really, dude, are you serious right now? But uh, when 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 he's not getting his way, and the people aren't getting their way, they start throwing a fit, trying to find other accusations and bring. And no, notice what verse number eleven says. And Herod, with his men of war, set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him on his way, sent him again to Pilate. Notice the reproach that our Savior stood before. Has the idea here of holding with contempt, showing little esteem to the spies, to count as nothing as they held him or set him at naught. The king of glory the creator of this universe, stood before them, the savior of men, God among us in the flesh, and he was treated as if he was a fraud. Herod didn't get his way. He didn't, he didn't prove his, his, his deity. He didn't prove how awesome he was. He didn't do any miracles. He didn't do any tricks. He didn't jump up and down and do backflips and all that for Herod. And so said, Herod said, okay, well, if you're not going to do what I want and, and do my bidding, then uh, we'll just treat you as scum. We find the reproach that he had to endure. Notice the ridicule as well. The setting that we see here, it says that they set him at naught and they mocked him. Jesus stands before Herod. He's surrounded by his, his soldiers or men of war. In their eyes, this man had been claiming to be a king, or at least that's the accusations that have been brought against him. He's supposed to be a man of great authority, of great power. He's supposed to be the son of God, and yet he stands here beaten. He stands here accused. He won't even defend himself. He won't even lift up his voice in any way. And with that, they begin to mock him and they begin to ridicule Jesus as others had already done before. He's belittled as nothing more than a foolish imposter. You're a clown in their eyes, seeking to be someone that he he really wasn't. He's trying to appear to be something he wasn't. How many people in our world still today, take that same stand or attitude. Oh, those things in the Bible, <laughs> it's just an antique book. How do you believe it? It's fairy tales. It isn't really who he is or what he says he is, what it says he is to be. And unfortunately, he continues to be set at naught and mocked today. But notice the rejection as well. We find in verse number 10, it says that they arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, Sent him on his way. Eternal truth had stood right before them in their midst. And they said, we don't want it. That's not for us. They stood in the only me- before in the presence of the only means of salvation. And still they closed the door. In fact, they didn't just close the door. They made fun of him on his way out. Lastly tonight, notice fourthly the agreement in the court as well as we move to verse number 12. It says, In the same day, Pilate and Herod were made friends together, for before they were at enmity between themselves. Men who had at one time opposed each other were now joined in friendship through the mockery and through the rejection of our Savior Jesus Christ. They might have had very little in common before. There was nothing that brought them together, if you may. But now they at least shared this. They they shared a skepticism and they shared a rejection of the Savior. Hearts of unbelief, hearts of rebellion created a friendship based on depravity. We are aware of such things around us today as well. See, in our world today, it seems that Inclusion is the buzzword. Everybody has their own way, and everybody be, uh, everybody ought to be accepted, unless, unless you believe in the things of God. At that point, then, uh, we can't accept you. We can't include you at that point. They'll include everybody else about everything else. That is, until they don't meet their criteria as well. What I think is hilarious, okay? I don't know how much you keep up with, you know, kind of things that are taking place in our world today right now, especially in like sports culture and things like that. But a man named Kyrie Irvin, who plays for the Brooklyn Nets, he just posted on Twitter promoting this movie. Uh, this, I think, is a documentary of some sorts uh, about uh, Hebrew, uh, black Hebrew nationalism or Hebrew, black Hebrew Belief system—I can't even remember what it's exactly called. It's the idea that that uh, those that uh, are African American, if you may, they come from—they actually are the New Hebrews, and that they are God's chosen people. That's the idea behind it—is the way it is. Well, he promotes on Twitter this movie or this documentary about this belief that he he considers himself to be of that type of belief system as well. The movie is anti-Jewish from beginning to the end. Filled with anti asceticism. And uh, because of that, uh, everybody's up in arms about it now. Everybody's throwing a fit about uh, the fact of a stance promoting this type of a thing. He's even been suspended from his team because of, pro- of promoting this, this movie on, on Twitter and such. See, here, you you can have all, you're free to express yourself and to be who you want to be and who you are until it goes against their agenda or what they seem to be fit or right at that time. And then they turn your back on you, and cancel culture is strong. But I can tell you one thing they will all unite about. If they don't believe in God, they will all unite to attack the things of Christianity. It happened here with Pilate and Herod. It happens still in our world today as well, my friends. See, these two were united in their hatred, in their opposition to the things of God, to the the things that was being promoted here. A lost world has heard the rallying cry to come together against Jesus and those who follow him. I don't know if you know this or not, but there are groups out there that would say that religious conservative groups like our church here or to be considered terrorist organizations, because, because they just will not accept who Jesus is. We are not serving, though, my friends. We are not serving a has-been. We are not serving an imposter. We serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. And regardless of who accepts him, or whether or not it's popular in culture or not, Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And as I mentioned, I believe it was even Wednesday night. We either have the opportunity to willingly and humbly accept Him now, or we will be forced to accept Him then. And that acceptance will be totally different. It will be just a recognition as we are cast off to our place of punishment for eternity. Jesus stood before Herod, yet Herod did not believe. He was in the presence of the Savior, and yet he denied Jesus, ultimately mocking him and ridiculing him. Many still do the same thing today, but I'm so thankful for the day that I stood before the Lord and called upon his name. So thankful for the day that I humbly bowed my heart to him. I repented and embraced Jesus by faith as my Lord and Savior. He saved me that day, and I'm secure in Him. And regardless of what takes place in this world around us, that doesn't change the fact that Jesus is mine, and I am His. I pray that that is true for you tonight as well. I know it's a Sunday Sunday evening, and you're here on a Sunday night probably for a second time for church again. (laughs) However, at the very least, let it be a reminder that all men, And all women, all boys and all girls, are going to have to come to a recognition of who Jesus is. From the most prominent to the least, to the wealthiest, to the poorest, to the most talented, to the ones that seemingly have nothing going for them, it doesn't matter. Every single person has to decide what they're going to do with Jesus. Have you accepted Him today? Have you trusted Him as your personal Savior? If He is speaking to you through His Word and through His Spirit, then we are blessed beyond measure. We must remember that. And if that's the case, if, but if He's not, if you do not know Him, today is the day of salvation. I can invite you to stand to your feet with me here tonight. With has bowed and our eyes closed here this evening. The last few weeks, we've seen Jesus stand before two prominent individuals. One week was Pilate. This week, it was Herod. Both men had an opportunity to turn to Jesus as Savior. Both men, in their superior stance, if you may, compared to those around them, didn't even recognize the majesty and the royalty in whom they were standing before. But my friends, tonight I'm here uh, amongst other believers, I believe, and so I hope tonight as we start this invitation that I could be able to rejoice knowing that there are others that know Christ as their personal Savior. So if you're here tonight and you know for sure that you're saved, you know that heaven is your home, and you know 100% sure that if you died today that you'd spend eternity with your Savior, could I just rejoice with you? Would you slip your hand up and write back down as a testimony to that end? Hands all across the auditorium. Praise the Lord for that. I wonder, though, if there'd be anyone who'd just be honest enough to say, Pastor, I do not know that I'm saved. I'm not sure that heaven's my home. I don't know that I've ever been born again. Would you allow me the opportunity to pray for you tonight? Anybody like that here this evening? Then one last question who He would say, I know that I'm saved, I know that heaven's my home, all that is settled. But as we are considering these last days of our Savior here on this earth, and really getting a deep dive into what He went through, the mocking, the, the, the scorn, just the, the, the pain and the suffering that we'll see over the next several weeks as well, All that the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did for you and me so that we might be able to be saved, would it not renew in our hearts again a passion and a gratitude for who He is and what He's done? Would we not take and consider not just tonight but also tomorrow and throughout the rest of this week the extreme lengths and depths through which our Savior went through so that we might be able to to know Him, that we might be able to have a relationship with Him and be saved. All afternoon, I pondered the words of the song we sang this morning. The, uh, the, the, the song that, uh, that we were singing it goes something like this. It says, how should I boast in anything? No gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. How great how deep the Father's love for us. I hope that tonight, that at the very least, the message would have done exactly that, to remind us how deep His love is for you and I. If you're here tonight, you'd say, Pastor, would you pray with me that as we go throughout our days this week, that I would not cease to remember how deep, our Savior's love for us is. Could I pray with you about that tonight? Would you slip your hand up and right back down? Hands all across the auditorium. Miss Amber, would you mind pray, playing that song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, if you find it real quick there on, in the hymn book? We're going to pray. And when I'm done praying, the piano is going to begin to play. And let us consider how deep and vast and wide and great our Savior's love is for us. Our Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We do thank you for the fact that you set your face, as your word says, as a flint towards Jerusalem to endure the cross, to go through the despise and the shame because you saw us as joy set before you. God, would you help us to never lose sight of how good you are and that we wouldn't forget all that you went through so that we might be able to be saved. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.